Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of How to Win 2024. It's Thursday, November 30th. I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and I'm here with my co-host, Claire McCaskill. Hi, Claire. Hey, good morning. Or what is it? Is it morning? It's, it's, it's all yes, time. Yes, it is. It's morning. For people who are listening, it's any time you're here, and we're glad you are. We're just glad you're listening. Yeah, but for us, it's, it's like it is morning. It's a beautiful, sparkling, cool, crisp morning up here in New Jersey. It's fantastic. And today, I'm super excited about our guest today because we're going to be joined by the Democratic Party Chair for North Carolina, Anderson Clayton, at 25. She is the youngest party chair in the country, and she's going to help us understand what young voters are looking for in a leader and what is the best possible argument that she can make to young voters to support President Biden, and then also, can that transfer to to other states as well. And this is particularly important in light of a new poll from NBC that shows growing dissatisfaction with Biden among young people. But before we do that, we're going to talk about winners and losers, and that will include some discussion about our old friend Mike Pence and what he was doing leading up to January 6th. And then we will turn to Hunter Biden, who appears to finally have gone on offense. I love going on offense. It just like it just everything just feels better when you're going on offense. And we're going to wrap things up with a spotlight on Obamacare, uh, something Claire and I both worked on when we were trying to pass Obamacare in 2009 and 10, uh, more properly known as the Affordable Care Act, and how a Trump presidency could endanger health care for millions of Americans because he wants to repeal the ACA, but also, and more relevant to this podcast, how it gives an important opening for the Biden campaign to show what the impact of a Trump presidency would be, because what does Biden all say? Don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. So that is what we will do. Um, but first, we're going to start with uh, winners and losers. So Claire, take it away. So my loser this week is a two-parter. Um, first, we learned this week that- <laughs> So Mike much Pence, losing. It takes two yeah, parts. It takes two parts. Um, first up, Mike Pence. New reporting from ABC reveals stunning details that the former vice president has shared with January 6th investigators and shows what a true weenie he actually is. He had planned to skip his constitutional responsibility to record the electoral votes on January 6th. He actually wrote in a note that he was just not feeling like he should attend. Too many questions, too many doubts, and it's hurtful to my friend. Therefore, I'm not going to participate, which is startling when you hear this. I know. Uh, that's a big loser. Um, and then it was reported that Chuck Grassley was going to step in for him. Now, evidently, yeah. his son took him by the collar and shook him and told him, uh, Dad, uh, you can't be this kind of weenie. You have to show up and do your job. And so he did. But it is yeah. really illuminating that the lack of courage he showed. I mean, he's gotten a lot of credit for doing the right, right. thing on January 6th. But and this that does, matters. Well, he did and, the right thing in the end. That totally matters. Absolutely. Um, but it also says a lot about Chuck Grassley. 
Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to reporters tracking him down and asking him what he had planned to do if he had stepped in for Mike Pence. And, you know, it's easy to call Chuck Grassley a loser, but he's surrounded by losers, as Liz Cheney's book points out this week, uh, that there were so many Republican senators who took the path of least resistance, who checked their courage at the door, and who remained silent or even remained supportive of the big lie. And it just it just shows you like how important individuals are, right? Because in the end, Mike Pence did the right thing after some people encouraged him, but came really close, came really close to just walking away. You know, Dan Quayle had a way in with him, the former vice president, also from Indiana, to tell him to that he had a constitutional duty here, but it could have easily gone the other way. And, you know, he's saying the right things now, but he was his running mate. He propped him up for however many years it's been, eight years, seven years now since then. But we, we went more looser before the winter, though. George Santos, just like a passing glance at this guy, because it is historic. He's facing another expulsion vote in the House following that scathing report from the House Ethics Committee. He notes his odds aren't great. He's saying, I know I'm going to get expelled when this expulsion resolution goes to the floor. I've done the math over and over. It doesn't look good. But the House Majority Whip, Tom Embers, says his team will not whip votes to expel Santos. So none of the top GOP leaders are going to do that. It is going to be on the Democrats again to do this, but like it will happen. It needs to happen. He needs to get expelled. I I just got to say, George Santos is such a loser. We should not even be talking about him. He is the L on the forehead Hall of Fame loser of all time. And the Republicans that are refusing to whip the vote to expel him have are showing clearly to the American people they care way more about power than they care about integrity. And th- that is something that people should take note of and understand how craven they have become. Okay, now let's do winner. Okay, so you got Hunter Biden. Yeah, so he did something very smart. He said that their pretend impeachment effort, which, by the way, is so indicative of the fact they can't get anything done that matters to the American people. I mean, all they can manage to do is keep the doors open on the government and say Hunter Biden repeatedly over and over again, like some kind of mantra, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, every once in a while, laptop, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, laptop, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, laptop. And so Hunter Biden said, yeah, you want to subpoena me? Fine, I'll come. But it needs to be public. I don't want you to twist what I say behind closed doors. I want the public to hear my answers to your questions. That is great offense. And it was interesting to me that Comer immediately said, oh, no, we don't want the public to hear. We don't want the public to know that we really don't have any evidence against your father. And the evidence we have against you shows bad judgment, but probably no crime other than the crimes he's already been indicted for. Um, And by the way, I noticed Josh Hawley uh, actually said they Mm. should let him testify in public this week. So there is some dissension among the far-right wacko caucus because Holly definitely belongs there, um, yeah. that we that they ought to let him testify in public. He needs to keep beating this drum. He needs to say, let me testify in public. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. 
Well, and I I think in some ways, Republicans have learned uh, some electoral lessons about these investigations, because the best day, without a doubt, of the Hillary Clinton campaign was October of 2015, when she testified before the Benghazi committee, after they had been doing, you know, years of investigating of her role in, in Benghazi. She testified for 11 hours. It was a classic case of what did you think was going to happen? Because she had the facts on her side. When MAGA runs into reality, whether it's in a courtroom or a congressional hearing room, this is where it blows up on them, right? And so Comer knows that. Still, you're like, what is their end game? Eventually, they're going to be facing the question of Hunter Biden testifying in public. They know he's going to be a sympathetic witness. They know that he has, uh, you know, he's had a lot of difficulty in his life. He shared that all publicly. Most people in their own lives know someone with an addiction, um, someone in their own family, perhaps. It's going to be sympathetic. This is why taking agency, um, going on offense, you know, doesn't just feel better, but it, like, helps change the dynamic electorally. And, you know, I don't know how they're going to get out. You know, they, they never have an end game, right? So I just don't think there is any end game. But it's definitely putting Biden, the Biden family and Hunter in a better position. The end game is pretty simple, that there'll be so much around this, that there will be low information, persuadable voters that will decide that, oh, well, how bad could Trump be? So the end game here is yeah. not about impeaching Joe Biden. They know that's not going to happen. They don't have the facts. This is right. just about politics. This isn't about this getting is- anything done for people who, in America, that have a lot of problems they're facing. So that's the end game, and and we'll see how successful they are. I think it's really important that Democrats not ignore that this is going on and try to face it frontally and fight back because that's what Hunter Biden is trying to do right now and all Democrats should do the same. Yeah, because then it's whataboutism. It's like, oh, okay, maybe maybe Trump's a little bit corrupt, but so is Biden, right? And that's just, that is how it seems, maybe it seems like a small thing, but they're trying to crater the underlying thesis of what Biden's running on, which is like government can work, democracy can work, government can have integrity, it can get things done. And that's ultimately what they're trying to do is erode that kind of trust people have. Um, which trust in government is a good topic for our next guest. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're talking about a key group of voters that could have a big impact on the 2024 election. Stay tuned. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. Welcome back. Last week's NBC poll had a stunning and concerning result among voters younger than 35. Trump led Biden 46% to 42%. There was a margin of error of 3.1%. So first of all, we want to figure out 
why, uh, plus what does the Biden administration need to do to garner more support from young people? And here to tell us is the Democratic chair of North Carolina and certified young person, Anderson Clayton. Anderson, welcome. Thank you so much, Jennifer and uh, Senator McCaskill for having me on. I really appreciate it. You bet. Okay, so I got a lot of stuff to ask you about. I think it's terrific that the Democratic Party in North Carolina had the sense to put not only a very young person in charge, not only a woman in charge, but also somebody who came from a very small town. I think it's important for everyone to understand how to win 2024 is a combination of factors. And folks who have not run in red to purple states— like North Carolina, don't understand that you have to do more than one thing at a time. You have to motivate the base and make sure they turn out and vote. You have to persuade the persuadable voters, and you cannot take any part of your vote for granted. And finally, and maybe most importantly, you have to work on the margins in the red parts of your state. Not that you can go and win in the reddest parts of North Carolina or Missouri, but you can cut the margins. And I've thought for a long time that the way to cut those margins is with young voters in those communities. So you are one of those people. Tell us how we can do a better job winning in 2024 in swing states by focusing on young people that don't live in urban and exurban areas. Oh, wow, Senator Caskill. I love that question. And I also love um, how you've been such a champion for rural folks across uh, America with legislation that you've also uh, introduced in Congress before as well. So thank you for all the work that you've done um, for rural people everywhere. I think it's really important for folks to to hit on what you just said, which is that there are young people that still live in rural America. And they may not be your, um, you know, your college-aged folks potentially, but there are some community colleges, like my home county of Person County has got a very strong community college system. It's part of what helps this county still function, honestly, appropriately. And so there's a place that we have to tap into young folks across our communities and especially in rural areas through our community college system, but also looking at it um, with just outreach to folks. I tell people all the time, getting out and making sure that we have a hundred strong county parties across every county in North Carolina is one of the most important things that we can do to help show young people that the Democratic Party is reaching out to them. Uh, One of the things that I tell people growing up in rural North Carolina, I always thought that I was running from rural North Carolina in my whole life um, and that I had to get out of it because there weren't enough people who thought the same way that I did or or felt the same way that I did about building a different community and a community that was more accepting and more loving and just wanted to grow. Uh, and I think that there's a really unique opportunity, especially with the money and the opportunity from the Biden-Harris administration with the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the Inflation Reduction Act that we've seen with historic investments into rural communities this year. Young people are seeing... Um, historic investments in into their communities and where they grew up. And I think it's important because it's going to create job opportunities for them to not only have to grow up somewhere, but also be able to grow old somewhere too. So I try to be very aware of how people under 30 have had a very different experience growing up than I did or, you know, anyone else in America. You know, you were a toddler at 9-11, right? You see the Great Recession, a lot of violence and gun violence in schools, the economy continuing to falter, wage inequality continuing to grow, the Trump years. So, you know, I'm trying to understand how young people have a different perspective. I feel like your experience is not that life gets better, 
Um, you haven't seen a lot of evidence of America improving in terms of, you know, economics, dealing with problems like guns, climate, things that, you know, that you faced in your own lives, but then will face, you know, going forward as well. We were all sort of shocked to see Trump's support growing among young people. You know, do you have a theory of what accounts for that? How young people's perspective is different about, say, the country and its uh, path forward, but they're also they're less optimistic. But, you know, why young people may be gravitating towards Trump when they have not done that before? I don't think young people are gravitating towards Trump. And I would... I challenge that NBC poll. I'm not. You challenge rides, the poll. I, yeah. I, I I'm not someone that rides a polar coaster. To be honest with y'all, like I'm someone yeah. that listens to the ground and talks. I love to people. that. Okay, and, Anderson. Anderson um, just coined a phrase for us. We're going to use it over and over again, Anderson. It will be the Anderson Clayton polar coaster. <laughs> I love that. I just, I don't ride it. If I did, I'd point out that there was a Meredith College poll very recently that came out in North Carolina that said Joe Biden is up from Donald Trump by a percentage yeah. point, at least in the state, right? Like there there are polls everywhere, I feel like right now that I could pull out of a hat. It's a year out from the election, and I don't think that they necessarily dictate public opinion. I also think young people are inherently distrustworthy of anyone that's going to call them on the phone and ask them what their opinion is of something these days. Uh, <laughs> and I also think that uh, young people are jokesters, too. Someone looked at me the other day and they asked me, they said, Anderson, I read a poll the other day that said the RF K Jr. was over Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I said, yeah, because my generation is is a funny one. Um, and I think that honestly, a lot of people got played in that poll, to be honest with you. But I, I hear the concern, though, of like our generation has faced an immense amount of turmoil and injustice, I think, when it comes to economic opportunities, when it comes to actually creating a life for ourselves and the the promise of what our parents' generation came from, which yeah. was the, the American dream, right? And right. there is a a comeback from that that we need to see of that young people need to see more folks talking about that, I think, of that, how hard it is right now um, to get a job that that not only, I, I think it, it's easy to find a job right now, people will say it over and over again, but I'm like a job that respects you, a job that actually cares about you as a person and as a an employee rather than just a, someone that makes money for their organization or their company, I think is what young people are looking for right now. And they're challenging that, right, with the increase in unionization that we've seen across our country and the, yeah. the really strong labor movement that's even building right here in the South. I mean, um, even in right-to-work states, we're seeing an increase in people that are demanding more and better workers' rights. And that's something that the Democratic Party has always been in a partnership with, in my opinion. And it's something here where we have the opportunity to rebuild that among young people. But the thing that I see often is a lot of people, to your point, Jennifer, what you said, they just don't have a lot of hope. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think it's interesting the way that you describe what Biden is trying to do right now by putting a faith in government, a feeling of that back into this country again, because I, I do believe that's what we need in a lot of like, ways. Like government can work. It can get things done for you. It, exactly. And it is. It's supposed to work for you. It's not supposed to work against you. Right. And the thing is, and especially in mm -hmm. rural parts of our state right now, to Senator McCaskill's yeah. point, you know, Republicans. Republicans have been able to run in rural North Carolina unopposed for a really long time. And the only people that are out here deciding where federal money is going or where state money is going are people that are not actually hurting in these communities right now. Our most marginalized communities in rural North Carolina and in rural America need to have positions of power to make the changes in their communities. And that's something that the Democratic Party has got to be invested in. And so what our party just did on Election Day, while Virginia and Ohio and Kentucky had all these great wins too statewide, uh, we had great wins municipally here in North 
North Carolina at our local level to take back local elections across rural North Carolina in places where Democrats just did not believe that a Democrat could win. But also they ran on issues like affordable housing and, and honestly being pro-LGBTQ, you know, saying that we don't care, you know, what you're doing in your own personal life because that's none of our damn business, to be honest with y'all. Um, <laughs> we care about whether or not you got a job and whether or not you got food on the table. And that's what we need to be focused on right now. Um, not everything else. So, Anderson, I think the point you make is a really good one, and I think people don't understand the pressure that people feel in small communities uh, to stay silent. Um, you know, I think for people who live in suburban areas and urban areas, they don't realize that when people in small communities go to the baseball game on Friday night or go to the Knights of Columbus Hall or go to any kind of gathering, there is such a large number of people that are pro-Trump that it makes it very hard for people to go, eh, you know, I don't know. And so recruiting people to run as Democrats who say out loud what probably more people are thinking than are saying in that community about Donald Trump and his wackadoodle nonsense, it, it really makes a difference. How are you doing recruiting people to run for the state legislature next year. Are you focusing on that? And are you having any success? Yeah, actually, after this podcast, I'm going to go do call time for it. Uh, I, I actually made a TikTok yesterday. I'm looking for somebody to run in Senate District 30 right now. It's one of our last Senate districts that we have an open seat for. It's Davy and Davidson County, because as many of you know, for those of, that are on this podcast, but that may not be familiar with what's been happening in North Carolina, our Supreme Court took back a decision that our former Supreme Court had made uh, last cycle, and they took back our maps. So we're going through a redistricting process. Our state legislature had the opportunity to redraw our state house and state senate and our congressional district maps in North Carolina, and they have extremely gerrymandered our maps uh, to where our congressional representatives are being taken from a seven and seven even split now um, to a 10 and four uh, split potentially if we can keep Don Davis's district where we need to. So there's a, a lot at stake right now in North Carolina for that. But we are really focused on building up our state Senate and state House seats because we want to make sure we can test all 170 state legislative seats in North Carolina. We know that when we did that in 2018, we not only broke a supermajority in our state legislature, but we were also able to help have up ballot effects for everybody on our ticket that year. And turnout trickles up, in my opinion. And we need to make sure that not only are those state House and Senate seats contested, but we're looking down ballot too at county commission and our other seats as well that are competitive in some of these counties. Because as you well know, Senator McCaskill, and, and something that was a fun fact for me in, in 2022, you know, North Carolina, out of 100 counties, we lost 45 Democratic representatives across 100 counties. And the other counties didn't really have a Democratic representative to lose anymore. And my thing is our party has got to build back from the bottom up because we need people, we need to build the bench of folks that are going to run for state house and state senate. And that starts with these municipal elections. Elections, that starts with getting good people who have experience, right, to go up and say, this shouldn't be part of the state budget, actually. This should be the county budget or vice versa when they're actually looking at what are the needs of the people. You know, to have somebody your, that's your age working as hard as you're working, I can tell how hard you're working, that you are giving this everything you've got. These are the kinds of folks we need to be supporting across the country. This is everything. This is our future. And this is whether or not the values we care about are actually echoed across the country. So good for you. Let me ask you one question that came to mind as you were talking about the issues. Which of the issues do you think are most motivating to young people right now? 
I know economics has got to be up there, but what about Dobbs? What about reproductive health freedom? What about gun safety? And what about climate? How would you rank those? And, and what do you think we should be emphasizing to young voters about the differences between Joe Biden's administration and the chaos that would rule if the other guy made it? You know, I talk to young people all the time and I tell them, I'm like, if you're angry about politics right now, get involved with it because you don't change it unless you're in it. And I, I challenge a lot of young folks that that tell me that they may be frustrated right now with, with how government is working or not working. But to that point, Senator McCaskill, I think that I would frame that all as human rights. Human rights are on the ballot in 2024 and they are every election cycle. But when people think about how does the economy impact all of these things, right? Abortion impacts the economy. The ability for a person to choose when they can or cannot have a family, right, is, is impacting somebody else's right to be able to do something else too. And I think that how I'm expressing that to young people everywhere is you're right to have a, a good job that pays you well, your right to be able to choose when you have a family, your right to be able to live and breathe in clean climate air and be able to actually have what you need. That comes from an administration that's been already working on those issues. And this administration has, and they're willing to listen to you on how you want to push them and go forward. I use Vice President Harris as a great example because beforehand, when she used to talk to young folks, she really would not bring up gun violence as a big issue. And then she did her college tour around and she really listened to young folks about what they were experiencing on their college campuses. And all of a sudden, you know, she really did switch how she talked about it. The first issue that she brings up whenever you ask her about young voters now is gun violence because it is a huge issue that is plaguing young people because they're scared. UNC Chapel Hill, one of my major flagship university campuses this year, has already faced two school shootings on their campus. I mean, these students should not have to deal with that. And it's something that we can protect our, our students from that fear every day if we choose to. I don't think those of us in our generation understand understand how things have changed. I see all my grandchildren doing shooter drills. And, um, you know, the drills we used to do were just simple fire drills. We didn't ever have shooter drills. So uh, I do think, and I think it's important, Anderson, you talk about gun safety in a state like North Carolina, because I think people assume that in states that are red or purple, that it's a subject you can't talk about because people feel passionately about gun rights. But I think what you've pointed out is there's a new reality for people in your generation around military-style weapons that can slaughter 10 people in seconds. And hopefully that, that resonates next year when it's time to vote. And you have good advice for the for Biden and Harris, I think, Anderson. I mean, I know I've read in other articles you talked about how you've you've heard the president talk about young people growing up in rural communities and how he believes in them and how important it was for you to hear the president say, hey, I believe in somebody like you. And the vice president listening to young people, reflecting back about what they care about and making sure that they understand. I mean, this is going to be a slog to win this, but it seems like you've given us you know, sort of tangible advice on what can be done in terms of emphasizing accomplishments that young people should care about and issues that they're worried about that the president and the vice president share their concerns and are going to you know, be a better alternative, but also fight for, for young people. So thank you. Anderson, we want to thank you so much. One quick question as we say goodbye to you. When are you running? <laughs> I already did, honestly. I ran for this and no one really expected <laughs> me to, but I am still looking for people to run for office. So if you're listening to this, you can let us know where you'd like to sign up and run in North Carolina next. We'd love to have you on a ballot. All right. Well, I'm hugging you through this microphone. Thank you so much for uh, joining Thank us you. today. We're going to take a short break and we will come back. We're going to talk about Trump going after your health care. Stay tuned. <laughs> 
Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. Welcome back. In recent weeks, Donald Trump has made his plans for a second term clear, and we should take him very seriously when he tells us what he's going to do. He says he's going to punish his political enemies, and he will use the Department of Justice to do that. I am your retribution. Deport millions of immigrants and reshape global trade by uh, using higher tariffs on goods that are imported to the United States. That means higher costs, people. That's what that means. And now he's going after the Affordable Care Act. He posted on Truth Social earlier this week and then again last night that cost of Obamacare is out of control. He's continuing to double down on this argument. Biden campaign has jumped on it. Trump says he's seriously looking for alternatives to Obamacare to repeal it and replace it with something else. Claire, what are your thoughts here on this issue? Well, first of all, let me just say before I talk a little bit about the substance of this issue, that this is such BS. I mean, for a decade, the Republicans have said, repeal, replace, repeal, replace. They don't have a replace. They had an opportunity to repeal and replace. They have nothing. Trust me, they have nothing. I, I got bloodhounds out at one point, looking through the Capitol, finding their plan to replace. They have no idea how to replace Obamacare with anything that would work for the American people. And let's look at what Obamacare has done and why it's become so popular. First of all, as of March 2023, 40 million million Americans have health care through the Affordable Care Act. 41 states have expanded Medicaid that have taken millions of people into the health care system that were not in the health care system before. We have Biden doing really important stuff around this, including a $2,000 cap for seniors on medicine beginning next year. A huge deal. Reduced insulin costs to everyone on Medicare to only $35 a month. This is such a losing issue for Republicans. You know, they had full control. They couldn't do it. Uh, He wants to say it was because one or two Republicans voted no. They had nothing to replace it with. And all of them say, oh, we want to keep pre-existing conditions. Well, you can't keep protection for pre-existing conditions and do the things they have proposed doing. It's impossible. The math doesn't work. So this is a losing issue for them. I hope he keeps talking about it because he's so dumb, he doesn't realize this doesn't help him. In 2018, before they had the Dobbs decision, repealing health care was like the big issue for Democrats. Like we kind of forget that, that this is what Democrats ran on uh, that won them the House back. It wasn't just an anti-Trump message. It was, we're going to protect your health care. And I feel like this is a good opening for Biden because, you know, this is about the economy next year. We don't know where it will be. We hope it's getting better. But there are concrete things that Biden has done that he can point to that will lower your costs. 
right? When Gretchen Whitmer ran for re-election in Michigan in 2022, abortion was a big part of her message, but her television ads were about the tangible things she had done to lower costs in the state. And we see these issues emerging. Biden was able to say with the UAW workers and with union workers in general, Trump had his chance. He didn't deliver for you. I've delivered with protecting your pension. I've delivered with infrastructure so that there's going to be great work for you for decades. I've delivered with lower costs for health care, and I'm going to protect the health care that you have now. You know, Bill Clinton taught me during ACA when we were fighting the ACA battles and it was so hard to get it passed, Claire. Bill Clinton reminded me, People don't believe that the government is going to give them something, but they sure are willing to believe that the government can take something away from them. And if you're trying to take away coverage that people have, that their kids have on health care, that their, you know, adult children can still continue to get health care through the ACA, that is, that's a very tangible thing that's real in people's lives that's going to be make them look soberly at this choice and say, mm, I got to go, you know, I got to go, Biden. So as we talk about this spotlight just a little bit more, I think it's really important to remember how the public has flipped on this issue. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't Um, believe it. I cannot believe that 60% of Americans support it after what we went through. (laughs) 60% of Americans support the Affordable Care Act. And by the way, the Democrats maintain a huge majority among folks about who is better at handling health care. I think we're ahead by like more than 20 points on who is better at handling health care. And I need to take people down memory lane a little bit. I was in the Senate and voted for the Affordable Care Act. I remember calling Barack Obama. He had asked me to call him if there was ever a time that I thought he had gotten too insulated. And so I called him and I said, you know, You need to understand that if you push this across the finish line, it may beat you because people will be so afraid of the change and so afraid of the government involvement that it may beat you. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you know what? I am willing to lose over this one. I think this is so important to the people in this country that we begin to change the way healthcare is delivered and make it more accessible to people who need it most. It's okay if we lose. So with that, I, of course, voted yes. And then I went out to do town halls across Missouri. And this was the beginning of the Tea Party movement. The anti-Obamacare was also really coinciding with the Tea Party movement. I would have these raucous town halls. I mean, the venues would be jammed. I mean, including a gymnasium that was packed with people. And so I had various tools I tried to use to keep the crowd calm because people were angry and they wanted to yell at me. So one of the things I did is I took my mom along and she spoke from the stage <laughs> Your mother about, as, a, as a shield. Oh, yeah, because she would get up and say, this is the dog and pony show. I'm the dog. She's the pony. And everyone would laugh and it would kind of like get everybody off on the right foot. The other thing I would do is have a minister come in and pray before the town hall. And I'll never forget one town hall in a small community in mid-Missouri where the minister was praying and quoting Jesus about taking care of people, about taking care of people that need help. He was quoting the Bible 
in the New Testament, and actually the crowd started booing. Oh, my God. So that's when I knew this was going to be something that was going to be really difficult to turn around. And that's why it's so much fun for me to see these approval numbers now, because people have now figured out that it wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be, and that it provided benefits to people across the country in ways that they didn't really envision when they were being told that the government was going to take over their lives. Yeah, it's a good thing to remember when our listeners are observing Democrats in general and thinking they're not good at messaging and the Republicans are more disciplined. Sure, they're disciplined. As Liz Cheney said in her book, one of the members of Congress said to her, the things we do for Orange Jesus. Sure, they're disciplined at at propping up Donald Trump. They're disciplined at what the Republican Party has come, trying to maintain power. But What the Democrats did when passing the ACA was a tough political thing because people are scared. The greatest myth in American politics is that people want change, right? (laughs) People are terrified of change. (laughs) But knew it was the right thing to do, willing to take a short-term hit. Ten years later, we see it's not just politically popular. It is doing, you know, enormous good in the country. And eventually, now, this time, very much accruing to uh, the Democrats' uh, electoral benefit. And I said before, you see these threads emerging of like tangible ways that the Biden team can break through the like chaos and hysteria that comes from Trump with real improvements that are going to have an impact on people's lives. And that's how we went in 2024. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with much more. As always, if you have a question for us, you can send it to howtowinquestions at NBCUNI.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 646-974-4194, and we might answer it on the pod. And we're even planning a mailbag episode for the end of the year, so get those questions in ASAP. Okay, I got to go make Christmas cookies, but before I go, I want to thank all the people who help us do this every week. The senior producer for this show is Alicia Conley. Jessica Schrecker and Ivy Green are segment producers. Bryson Barnes is the head of audio production. Our audio engineers are Fernando Arruda and Harry Colhane. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio, and Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series. Hey, friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com.